his name I pray. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Wyatt. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 22 through 40. Um, last week we, we looked at Christ walking on the water uh, and, and kind of gave some initiatives uh, for the coming year. Uh, one of those was a tennis. And man, what an encouraging crowd we have this morning. Please continue to make worship together a priority in your new year. We, we've asked you to do that and, um, and, and just want to encourage you to continue uh, to be here. Uh, what a privilege. What a privilege we have to be together to worship our great King. So John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. On the next day, so this is the day following the, the disciples going to the other side of the sea um, and Jesus walking on the water. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other, bro other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten uh, the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his zeal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. 
Now it's New Year's, right? And so everybody's kind of wanting to get in shape. And one of the big craze, uh, diet crazes of our time is keto, right? Some of you, many of you are on keto, which means carbs are bad. Carbs are the enemy. And I have rejected keto. The number one reason I have rejected keto is because carbs are delicious. Why limit myself to something beautiful and delicious such as bread and cobbler and pie? But now I have a biblical reason. If carbs are so evil, then why would Jesus call Himself the bread of life? That was Brother Donnie's joke. Since you laughed, I'm taking credit for it. But... That's not really what this text is about. That's, that's doing what these people are going to do, what the woman of the well did. And that's take something that, that Jesus was talking about very figuratively and spiritually and taking it literally. So this is not, uh, I would say, a strike on keto. The fact that carbs are delicious is the main strike on keto. But the main point of, of this text is that all who seek Christ Himself all who seek Christ Himself will have life eternal and He will raise them up on the last day. So I want to speak and, and talk and answer some questions about this and how we seek Christ and, and who Christ is and what Christ will do for us. First of all, how are we to seek Christ? Well, we are to seek Christ Himself. Okay, So first we see how we're not to seek Christ. And in verses 22-24 through 24 of this text, it's just all about the crowd realizing, okay, Jesus who just fed us and gave us these full bellies, He's gone. And we really liked the fact that He fed us. And so where is He? And they found out where He was. And so they go to Him. They, it says they seek Jesus. They were seeking Jesus. And Jesus, just right off the bat, He rebukes them. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so Jesus is not just Concerned, hey, they're seeking me. Isn't this great? No, he was concerned with, why are they seeking me? What is the purpose in their hearts for them seeking me? And what, what Christ has realized, because he can see their hearts and he knows what's in them, is it's just all about the fact that they have a full belly. And they want, they've gotten hungry again. And now they want another full belly. And we, it's not about the fact that they saw a miracle. He's not, he's not chastising them because of signs. We see uh, back when he uh, heals the official son, Jesus makes a comment about signs. He said, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So he kind of rebukes them for their desire to see signs. But here we see that he says, hey, you're seeking me not because of the sign, but you're seeking me just to have your feel. And so Jesus is, is encouraging them, hey, there's something here. 
there's something that that sign was to show you that you haven't gone deep enough into what I'm offering you. This particular sign was a sign that it came with this gift of, of this benefit of, hey, eating, eating their field to have a full belly. And it came with the benefit. And they had just, they'd gotten hung up on that benefit. They got hung up on that one comfort that they received for Christ that they were missing what He was truly offering. We just got done with Christmas and, and most of you parents have probably experienced that moment, especially with younger kids where, man, you buy them something nice and you, you've saved your money and you buy them this gift and what do they play with? The box that it came in. And you're like, what? I could have gone and bought a 50 cent box. And I spent all this money on this gift that they've cast aside to play with the box. And this is really what was going on here. That Jesus had that kind of, kind of it, it was a sign to show, hey, look at me. Look at the power within me. The power that's been granted to me to, to grant you so much. And all you're concerned about is kind of the box that it came in. This moment of multiplied fish and bread. And so they had they had what what was intended to be something that sought that put them seeking Christ himself was just something they continued to just seek the gift of Christ instead of the giver. While none of us have had this this none of us have have consumed multiplied fish and bread, I think most of us would say that we at times have fallen into the trap of pursuing the gift instead of the giver. To, to pursue the comforts of Christ instead of Christ Himself. I mean, do you, do you have your child in church simply because of some benefits that, hey, maybe if I have them in church, they'll be moral, they won't do drugs, they won't get pregnant out of wedlock and... And that's why they're here. Or do you have them here because you want them to fall in love with Christ? I see all the time in my counseling ministry those that, that come with failed marriages and what they're wanting, they're wanting Christ to fix their marriage. They're wanting God to fix the marriage. And what so often happens is if that marriage falls apart or if that marriage hopefully is restored and and she lets him move back in or however it works, when that danger passes, so does their pursuit of Christ because they just wanted wanted their marriage fixed. They didn't necessarily want Jesus Himself. So many of us, we get caught up in in answered, we want answered prayers from God, but what, what about when He says no? And there's even a way that that preachers, if they're not careful, can can preach the gospel in such a way that it's all about the comfort that Christ brings instead of Christ Himself. Now, I'm someone who who believes that, that within the truth of the gospel, to tell the gospel, you must speak of God's wrath. You must speak of hell, the eternal destiny of those who don't know Christ. You, you must speak on the wrath of God without the wrath of God there is no good news of the gospel. But yet, yet we can, if we're not careful, get so, talk so much of the horrors of hell 
that Jesus, all Jesus is, is someone to get us out of that. And what we should do is proclaim the gospel in such a way that yes, yes, God's wrath is clear, but Christ is beautiful. It's not just about rejecting eternal fire, but it is about receiving the beautiful and amazing and the loving Christ. So we need to be careful that that even when we preach the gospel, that it doesn't become just about, hey, comfort and not going to hell, but it becomes about affection and love for Christ. Let's be careful how we present Christ, especially through our children. So how are we to seek Christ? It says in verse 38, And they said to him, What must we do? to be doing the works of God. So they say, this eternal food, it sounds pretty good. I'd, I'd like some of that. So what do I need to do to get it? Is there some, some of the Ten Commandments in particular that I need to be keeping to, to do the works that get this food? Maybe, Jesus, do you have some new laws that I don't know about that, that, that maybe if I do those things, I can get this eternal food? And... You know, is there something about our performance and the works that we're doing that maybe if we worked a little harder that we would get this food? And this is really the the path of every other religion, right? Do these works and I'll give you eternal life. Climb up the karma ladder and eventually you'll be reincarnated to something really awesome. Or say these many prayers a day and then God's going to be pleased with you and then you're going to get paradise. And yet, Jesus says something that runs contrary to all of that. It says, Jesus answered that and He said, this is the work of God that you believe in Him who He has sent. The Gospel of Christ is not try harder, do more stuff, or keep these laws. The Gospel of Christ is that Christ has kept the law for you. That He has done the work for you. And that the work that you must do is simply this. To believe. To put your faith on the work that He has done on your behalf. It's contrary to all other religions because it is a God who has done the work. So the question is, who is this Christ that we are to seek? We are to seek the Christ who is the bread of life. First, Jesus gives His credentials as the one who was approved by the Father. He says here in verse 27, for on Him, God the Father has set His zeal. He's talking about Himself. For Him, for me, God the Father has set His zeal. We know that that Christ has been approved by the Father. We we saw it in the baptism, right? What What does the Father say upon Christ's baptism? This is My Son in whom I'm well pleased. And as we are in chapter 6 of John, we've seen five signs already of, of works that Christ has done that show that the Spirit of God is resting on Jesus. 
that He is sealed with the Spirit of God. We'll see eventually in Christ's resurrection, we'll see that final stamp of approval of Christ's work on the earth. And Jesus wants them to know that the, the authority of the Father has been given to Him. He is the one approved by God to be the mediator between God and man. To bring eternal life. To be the one that would bring eternal life to the condemned people of God. Uh, the, 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 the condemned people that, that needed to be brought to God. We see also is that He is the one sent by the Father. It says in verse 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him who He has sent. There's this, this truth that I feel like up until the last year or so that I haven't focused on enough. And that is the fact that the Father sent the Son in love. I feel like and I think we, it's an error that we have is that, is that the, we have an angry parent and the father, like he's mad at us. Then we have the cool younger brother, the, the cool brother, that older brother, that, that he kind of smooths things over with dad. And that's a really crooked view of the Trinity and the Trinity's plan for us and the Trinity's love for us most of all. We see here that Jesus says, the Father sent me. That the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they all loved us. And it was all their plan that Christ would come and to redeem us from our sin. God the Father, in His amazing love for us, sent Christ to save us. We see also is that He is the bread that gives life. So He identifies Himself. He says in verse 33, For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Here it seems like it's very similar to the lady at the well, right? Where, where Jesus keeps kind of talking to her about this eternal water and, and she just keeps getting caught up in physical thirst. And these people are still just kind of caught up that this, hey, this is physical food. This is more of that good fish and bread we just got yesterday. And what, what we see here is that Jesus kind of makes a switch. At first, He's kind of saying, I'm here to give you the bread of life. But now that He is saying, I am that bread of life. That, hey, the bread of life is not something that I give you. It's, it's me. It's, it's not something I'm handing out. It's, it's me. I am what you are to receive. He was not the giver of a thing. He was the thing itself. And remember that all of this is this whole instance of, of, uh, of Jesus uh, feeding them and all of this is, is happening around Passover. And so this is why everyone's thinking about bread. They, they're dwelling upon God's deliverance out of Egypt and, and their time in the wilderness when 
when, uh, when the Father took care of them in so many ways, including manna from heaven, sending provision from them, for them down into the wilderness so that, they could, so that they could live, so that they wouldn't die. And there was this long-standing belief about the Messiah that He would unlock once again the manna from heaven, that He would unlock the storehouses of heaven and He would bless the people. And we see here that that is true of Jesus, but He's offering so much more than some mysterious bread from heaven. He is that provision, right? He is that provision. He became God's provision to us. But it's not a temporary provision to keep you alive a few days. It is an eternal provision. A provision that if you receive this provision of Christ, this bread, this manna, this this provision of God, if you receive it, then you will receive eternal life. He He is the one that is approved by God. He was sent by God. He is the provision, the bread of life from God. So, next we see, what does Christ do for those who seek Him? We seek a Christ who will raise us up on the last day. Look at verses 36 through 40. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we see here that those who seek Christ, those who truly believe, have been given to him by his Father. You realize that that we are a gift if we know Christ. We are a gift that's been given to him by the Father. And this transfer is certain. All that the Father gives to the Son will come to the Son. Notice he reprimands them here and he says, you don't believe. And he impli- his impl- implication here is that they do not believe because they've not been given to Him by the Father. Similar thoughts are given later in John 26 when Jesus says, but you do not believe because you are not among My sheep. The Jews they just, they knew they were in, right? Like, we are the ethnic people of God. We've been the people that have been given God's, God's law, and, and He's just been always taking care of us, and so we're in. And the truth is here that, that Jesus says, no, you are not automatically in. Never could they fathom that God would be bringing people from all tribes and tongues and nations to Christ. This, this is the great hope of worldwide missions. 
that people have been given to Christ throughout the whole world, we simply must go and preach to them the Gospel. That is why we are a church that values urgency in Gospel mission. We are confident as we go to Nicaragua or we go to Ukraine or we go to Albuquerque or Chicagoland, we are confident that God has given us people that if we go and we will go and preach and, and make those trips and make other trips and go and preach and preach and preach, that there are those who will believe. There are those who will truly hear and believe. We see here that those who seek Christ are absolutely 100% secure in His love. Secure in His love. Notice the determination of Christ here not to lose any. Let me tell you something that I can tell you with more certainty than I've ever said anything from the pulpit before. If you have truly believed in Christ and are in Him, there is nothing in this world or in this universe that can remove you from Christ's love. Because He says right here in this text, I'm not going to lose one. What a glorious promise. You will be raised up on the last day just as certainly as Christ was raised up if you have sought Christ Himself. How do I know this? Is it because of what we do? Is it because I have confidence in your morality and my morality to somehow be good enough that Christ is going to keep you on His team? Do I believe that there is anything that any of us can do to keep us in the love of God? Of course not. Listen in this section, who's doing the work? Who's keeping who? Verse 36, I will never cast out. I, Christ, I will never cast out. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven. Verse 39, I should lose nothing. And also in verse 39, I will raise Him up on the last day. Why do I stand with confidence that I and you who believe in Christ will be raised? It is not because I'm smarter than anyone. It's certainly not because I'm more moral or better or worth more than anyone else. It is because I have believed in the One who is working. The One who has worked in His life and, and death and resurrection. And One who continues to work to make sure that I am raised up on the last day. Amen. We have confidence in a Christ who is going to keep us. Because if it's up to us, we would all end up getting lost. So again, all who seek Christ Himself will have life eternal and He will raise Him up on the last day.
Have you sought Christ Himself? Not just His comfort, not just what He can give you, but have you sought Christ Himself for your eternal life? If you have, He will raise you up. It's a promise. He will raise you up on the last day. What a glorious truth and hope that we've been given. Christ is the bread of life that has been given to us to cherish and and to share. There are people around us that you work with, that are in your family, that are all over the city, that are all over the world, that if they are preached to, if you bring them that wonderful, you tell them the wonderful Gospel, they will truly hear it. But how can they hear unless someone speaks it? And so it is our joy to not just sit back and say, man, I'm so glad that I'm secure in Christ's love. No, it is for us to, yes, take joy and satisfaction in knowing that, that we, are, we belong to Him and we will be raised up in the last day. But it is our joy and our privilege to share that truth with others. If we have sought Christ Himself, let's walk as those with confidence and joy that comes to those with eternal life and let us share that love. Let us share that grace and most importantly that message with those who desperately need it. I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and ask you to respond however God has spoken to you through His Spirit through His Word this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for Your provision of the bread of life. And we thank You for Christ. And God, I pray that everyone here has sought Christ Himself. Not just for comfort, not just for full bellies, but sought Him and received Him. And God, for those of us who rest in that beautiful joy of the fact that He keeps us, God, I pray that we would be those full of joy to share that with others. God, move in our hearts. Help us even now in this invitation to think of friends and and family and co-workers neighbors that so desperately need to hear the beautiful gospel of your provision of Christ. God, move in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My faith will fail